Thank you, choir. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. Father, we thank you that we can sing truths from your word. Father, we thank you that we can uh, study the truths found in your word and we can learn to worship you better with our lives, Father, and learn to live our lives for your glory and honor, Father. And we are just so grateful that you have provided such a good word for us. Father, as we come to this time in our service where we open up your word and, 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 and seek to uh, grow in our understanding of who you are, um, and through that, our understanding of who we are and what you expect of us in our lives, Father, we ask that by your spirit you would help us. Uh, Father, know what you desire for us to know today from this passage of your word. Father, I pray that we would have the right attitude of your word, the attitude that we find uh, the prophets having where they say that we are to, to tremble at your word. Father, that we are not to come arrogantly thinking that we know everything, but come with teachable, humble spirits, uh, realizing that we are finite human beings who are in desperate need to uh, be taught who you are and uh, your way ways for our lives. So, Father, help us to come with that attitude today to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Gospel community, spirit-induced corporate care. That's where we're going to be at today. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 through chapter 6, verse 6. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 through chapter 6, verse 6. Gospel community. In this in this section of Paul's letter, we see this theme of how we are to be living in relationship with one another in the body of Christ. How our salvation that God has freely given us leads us to live a certain way, uh, especially in the way that we uh, treat one another. That's the way that Paul is focusing on in this part of his letter. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment a dance, such as a waltz. In, in, a, in a dance like a waltz, the, the man leads and the woman follows his lead. And our lives as Christians are kind of similar to that waltz. The Holy Spirit has the lead role in our lives, and we are following His leadership. Now imagine again for a moment the church as dancers on this ballroom floor where every member is dancing with his or her partner, the Holy Spirit. The one with the lead role ensures that the couple doesn't run into others on the dance floor, that this, that this member doesn't run into other people. Of course, that leader is the Holy Spirit, our leader, and he is perfect because he is God. And, and since he is God and because he is perfect, he will always lead us in that dance of the Christian life in the right direction. He'll never lead us to bump into others and to hurt other people in the church. If we find ourselves running into one another, hurting others, causing a ruckus, then we can rest assured that we are not keeping in step with the Spirit. On the other hand, if we are keeping in step with the Spirit in our lives as Christians, we will be looking out for one another, humbly stepping out of the way so we don't trip up others. We'll be gently reaching out a helping hand to, to those who may have stumbled and, and fallen and maybe have taken their eyes off their lead partner, the Holy Spirit. We'll be examining our own footwork 
making sure that we're keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. And we'll be giving thanks and blessings to our teachers who have taught us how to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. As long as each of us keeps in step with the Spirit, someone could stand out on the balcony overlooking this dance floor of the church, this ballroom floor. And what they would see is a beautiful scene of people, very different personalities, very different backgrounds in life, all out there keeping in step with their partner, not running into one another, and this beautiful harmony of relationships that would point towards the goodness and grace and power of God who has filled each one of them with His Holy Spirit. He'll see lots of working going on, but it'll be working together. Lots of motion, but no commotion. Lots of moving pieces in this church, but no chaos, just harmony. I want you to read along with me. Follow along as I read out loud Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 through chapter 6, verse 6. Let's see what this dance looks like as we keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk or keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. One who has taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Our main idea today is this. The Spirit of God in us will lead us to care for one another in the church in practical ways. The Spirit of God in us will lead us to care for one another in the church in very practical ways. Remember that Paul has just finished explaining how our lives, when they're filled with the Spirit, produce the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit living, uh, the fruit living in us, we found back in chapter 5, verse 22, 23. We saw that it was love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And those, those things, that fruit of the Spirit, serves as nourishment in our lives and in the body of Christ to foster healthy relationships among one another. And walking by the Spirit produces this fruit that, that then leads to us showing practical care and concern for one another in the body of Christ. Notice with me five ways this morning the Spirit of God in us will lead us to care for one another in the church. Number one is this. Walking by the Spirit protects relationships in the church by calling us to daily submit to God's Spirit in us. If we're walking by the Spirit, we will be protecting our relationships with one another as we daily submit to God's Spirit. Chapter 5, verse 25, verse 25, it serves as a bridge. If you'll look at that verse again, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. 
it not only looks back to what Paul has already said, but it also looks forward to what he's going to say in this passage that we're looking at today. Paul has been talking about what it looks like when a person is walking by the Spirit. And now in this passage, he's going to give several specific commands to believers, to you and me, if we've trusted in Christ, we're a part of his church. He's going to give several specific commands of how we're to relate to one another. But we've got to remember, we always have to remember that our obedience to God follows salvation from God. Our obedience to God always follows salvation from God, not the other way around. Chapter 5, verse 25 is a a short but loaded statement that, that serves as the foundation for really all that Paul is saying in this second part of his letter to the Galatians. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This form, the form of the sentence is very typical of Paul's style of writing because I think it's reflective of the gospel itself. It's an indicative statement followed by an imperative statement. So what in the world are you talking about? Well, an indicative statement just simply is a statement that states the facts. It's kind of teaching us something. But then the imperative statement is a call to action. It's a command of what we're supposed to do as a result of the facts. So the first part is the fact. If we live by the Spirit, the fact, the indicative is that the Spirit, if we've trusted in Christ, is our source of life. We live by the Spirit or we have our life by the Spirit. The action commanded as a result of this fact is that we should then keep in step with the Spirit or walk by the Spirit. The order is important. First, The Spirit of God gives us new life. And then we are called to walk in obedience to that Spirit. But I want you to notice, we don't want to rush too quickly through this verse. And notice that first word. It's the word if. He places an if at the beginning of the statement as if to remind the Galatians that not everyone lives by the Spirit. Not everyone has a life by the Spirit, but only those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. What he spent lots of time talking about in the first half of this letter. So if you have the Spirit in you, if you have been saved, if you have been justified by God and before God, then you should live your life in a manner that is consistent with the Spirit of God who is breathing life into you. If you don't have the Spirit of God in you, if you have not been saved, if you have not been justified, then what you need to do first is not try to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit would call you to do, but you must first trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and receive the new life that the Spirit breathes into us. Then and only then, then and only then, can you begin to keep in step with the Spirit in your day-to-day life. Once you do choose to follow Jesus, trusting in what he did on the cross to rescue you from your sin, then you and I, we should absolutely live like a Christian. Once we become a Christian, we should live like a Christian. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit or to walk by the Spirit. To walk by the Spirit literally means to fall in line with the Spirit. And the word translated walk or keep in step has been defined this way, to be in line with a person or thing considered as standard for one's conduct. 
as Christians, who is the standard for our conduct? Christ. That's why we're called Christians. Christ. He is the standard for how we are to be living. Jesus has given us his spirit, as we saw back in chapter 4, verse 6, where it says that God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. We have been given the spirit of Jesus to not only affirm that we belong to him as a seal of our salvation, but also to give us the power and the ability to live like Jesus. So when the spirit of God lives in us, we are to submit our lives to his leadership. Christian, when you placed your faith in Jesus for salvation, you were at that moment submitting yourself under the authority of God, whose spirit convicted you of your sin and then drew you into a place of repentance before the almighty God. But submission to God doesn't stop once you've received salvation. In fact, once we have submitted to God in receiving salvation, we have just begun a life of daily submitting to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Our submission to God at the moment of justification leads to moment-by-moment submission to Him until that moment of our glorification. Christian, Christian, one day in the past, God saved you. Praise God. He justified you. And one day in the future, He is going to glorify you as you... as, as he welcomes you into his eternal home. But between those two days, the day of your salvation and the day when he finishes your salvation, you and I are to be daily submitting to God's will for our lives, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. John Calvin said this, if God's Spirit lives in us, let him govern all our actions. Christian, who is governing your actions? Who is governing the thoughts that you think and the words that you speak and the things that you're doing with your life? Are you taking your cues from the Spirit or are you taking your cues from the world around you? Let me ask you this. Who is sitting in the driver's seat of your life? Who is your lead partner in this dance of the Christian life? Are you keeping in step with the Spirit in your life? Or are you keeping in step with someone or something else? If you live by the Spirit, you must be striving each day to keep in step with the Spirit. But where is this Spirit leading? What steps is this Spirit taking that we are then to keep in step with Him? Here, Paul's focus is on our relationships within the gospel community called the church. If we're submitting to God by following his spirit, and if God is building his kingdom through the church, then walking by the spirit means that we will be living and acting in ways that protect the church rather than hurt the church. Truth number two, walking by the spirit protects our relationships with one another by calling us to humility. Walking by the Spirit protects our relationships with one another by calling us to humility. The command here is stated in the negative. Notice in verse 26, he says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. 
And this Greek word um, that's translated and some, some Bibles conceited is, or, or arrogance or, or boastful, it's made of two Greek words. And the first word means empty and the second word means praise, literally empty praise. And so your translation may read, let us not be desirous of vain glory. Today, we would most often use the word conceited or boastful. Don't be arrogant. Don't be boastful. We're walking by the Spirit. The Spirit is going to lead us to, to view ourselves in a proper estimation. We'll, we'll look at ourselves with the right point of view. We'll look at ourselves and we'll say, you know what? I'm not the center of attention. It's not all about me. We'll be led to think less of ourselves and more of others. Stated positively, this is a command to be humble. It's a call to humility. But why? Notice what results from a conceited or a boastful attitude, provoking one another or envying one another. I want us to focus on that first one today, provoking one another. To provoke is to challenge someone, kind of like in an athletic contest, to, to challenge someone, to say, hey, I bet I'm faster than you. Or how about I can throw this ball further than you? Or I can hit this ball further than you can? It's to, it's to provoke someone. It's to challenge someone. Let me ask you a question. Do you challenge your opponent or do you challenge your teammate? Which one are you supposed to challenge? Your opponent, right? You're not supposed to challenge or provoke your teammate. You're supposed to challenge your opponent. If you've ever been watching a, a team sport and saw two players on the same team uh, accidentally start playing against each other, you know how ridiculous that looks. I, I, I can I remember some highlights from football games that I've seen. And uh, maybe you've seen some of these where two players are on the same team and in the midst of the play, they, they get locked up. Two football players get locked up and, and uh, they're just blocking one another. And the play's going on around them. The person on the other team's got the ball and run, runs right past them and they're just blocking one another. It, it, it happens sometimes. And it looks kind of foolish, right? When the coach calls a play, he expects his players to work together, not against one another. Not provoking one another. Church, God has called the play that he expects his people to execute. In the gospel community called the church, we are to be working together for the common goal of seeing the glory of God magnified through the world by the spreading of the gospel of Jesus. That's the play that the coach has called in. That God has called in and our involvement in God's mission will be hindered if we are treating one another as opponents rather than as teammates. As we think about that, it's a call to be humble because a conceited or arrogant attitude will lead to us treating one another as opponents rather than as teammates. So the Spirit in us is leading us away from any kind of attitude that will result in treating one another as opponents or enemies or rivals. Spirit leads us away from conceit, pride, arrogance, vainglory, whatever word you want to use there, and calls us to humility, which helps us not fall prey to the, to the schemes of Satan who tempts us to fight against one another rather than teaming up to fight against him. 
This seems to be the problem that the Galatian churches were facing. Remember chapter 5, verse 15? He said, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. It could be that within the churches in this region of Galatia, that there was fighting inside these churches between individual members. And so Paul says, humble yourselves so you don't fight with one another. But it could also be not just fighting within churches, but fighting among churches. Remember, Paul is not writing this letter to one church. We learn right at the very beginning of this letter that he's writing to the churches of Galatia. He's writing to many churches in this region. And so it could also be that these churches have teamed up against one another. And they're viewing other churches as their opponents. Either way, whether among members in a church or among churches, there's no place for pride and arrogance that would then lead to provoking or challenging one another. We are to be working together as the body of Christ. So when we're acting from an attitude of humility rather than conceit, we'll put the interests of others before ourselves. And rather rather than hurting our relationships with one another, we're going to be protecting our relationships with one another. So in the dance of this Christian life, the Spirit leads us to humbly step out of the way to keep from tripping up someone else. And when we are each keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, it leads to beautiful, harmonious relationships in the body of Christ. But if we're filled with conceit, we'll be running over one another. Instead of beautiful harmony, it'll just be mass chaos. What do we do on this ballroom floor as we're keeping in step with the Spirit when we see a brother or sister who has stumbled? Who has fallen? Well, humility will help us respond appropriately. In fact, this attitude of humility pervades the rest of this passage, even though it's not mentioned specifically. And this leads us to truth number three. Walking by the Spirit protects others' relationships with God by calling us to gently restore and lovingly bear. You're walking by the Spirit will not only be protecting our relationships with one another, will also be helping protect our brothers and sisters' relationship with God through gentle restoration and lovingly bearing with one another. As you see, there's two parts in this truth of helping our, our, our brothers and sisters. Notice verses 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is called in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The first part is a call to gently restore. As we participate in this dance of the Christian life, there are going to be times we notice a a fellow Christian has has stumbled and, and fallen. And Paul refers to this as being caught in a transgression. And we see that this has happened. We're not just to waltz right over that person. We're to stop. We're to humble ourselves and we're to help that person back up. To his or her feet. The word Paul uses for this is the word restore. In the Bible, this word is used to to talk about mending nets. So fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, after a while, their nets would get old and they they would begin to break. And they would have to take the time to stop and mend those nets back together. It's the same word Paul uses here. Translated restore. We are to help mend one another's relationships with God when we find that they're... A sin that has creeped into a brother or sister's 
walk with Christ. Now, those of you who have restored vehicles, you know that sometimes the process of restoration is not always an easy and clean work. In fact, it's, a, it's hard work and it's pretty dirty oftentimes. If we are arrogant, we will not take the time to stop and help because it's not always convenient to help restore a brother or sister in Christ. However, the attitude of humility called for back in, in verse 26 of chapter 5 will result in us stooping to help up a fallen brother or sister. And it will also help us pick them back up in gentleness. You see, there's a right way and a wrong way to try to restore someone. If you stop to help, but the whole time you're pretending really to help this person, you're actually only rubbing the sin of that person into his or her face, acting like you can't believe that she committed this sin or that he committed this sin. You're not really restoring the person the way the Spirit of God would lead us to restore this person. Notice that we're to restore in a spirit of gentleness. That was one of the words that Paul used to describe the fruit of the Spirit back in chapter 5, verse 23. Gentleness. To restore in gentleness is not to minimize or overlook the seriousness of a person's sin. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying and what I think Paul is saying here. The fact that you are helping restore your brother or sister back into a right relationship with God assumes that that person has fallen, that that person has sinned. And so it's not refusing to call sin, sin. But when restoration is done gently, our focus is not so much on the sin that that person has committed, but on the person who has committed the sin. So that we reach out to that person and lovingly help pick them back up and help them get back on that ballroom dance floor and help them get back into keeping in step with the Spirit in their lives. Let me add something to this. Not because I think Scripture is insufficient here, but just to help us keep this in the context of the rest of God's Word. This restoration of someone in the church who has fallen into transgression presupposes repentance on the part of the one who has sinned. What Paul is not saying is, hey, go find somebody who's in the church but's just living this lifestyle of sin and doesn't care that they're sinning and try to pick them back up. In fact, God's Word tells us if there's someone who is living a lifestyle of sin and doesn't care about it, it's fine that they're living in sin. We're actually supposed to remove that person from membership. Again, with the goal that that person would realize the seriousness of his or her sin and later be restored back into fellowship. But what this gently, gentle restoration is talking about is when someone is caught in sin and they realize it and they're broken over it. And they repent of that sin, but they need somebody to come alongside them and help pick them back up. We gently restore. But not only do we gently gently restore, we are to bear with one another. We lovingly bear with one another. In verse 2, Paul says that we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And it seems obvious that this would be a follow-up to the command to gently restore. Because being called in a transgression as a Christian is a burden. We don't want to sin against God. And so when we find that we've sinned, it is a burden. 
And so others can come alongside and we can come alongside one another and lift those burdens. But I, I think that it encompasses more than just falling into sin. You know that as a Christian, you know, as a Christian, you're going to be burdened by things sometimes in your life. And these burdens can take all kinds of shapes and forms. And God has given us one another in the body of Christ to help shoulder the load, to come alongside one another and encourage one another and pray for one another. And, and share with one another from God's Word how we can continue walking by the Spirit in the midst of this trial and this burden. Christian, are you burdened by something today? Are you? Is there a burden in your life? God has given you your church family to help you carry that burden. That nobody can help you. Nobody can help you. If you don't let a brother or sister into your life. You've got to tell somebody that there's a burden in your life. You know what keeps us from doing that? The thing Paul has already told us not to be. Conceited. It's pride that keeps us from sharing with one another. And saying, hey, I'm struggling with this in my life. Would you pray for me? It takes humility to, to ask for help. And so the humility that Paul's already called for will help us to go to one another when we need someone to help us share our burdens. But it will also help us be willing to share someone's burden when they come to us. So, Christian, do you know a brother or sister in Christ who today is bearing some kind of burden? I know it may not be convenient. I know it might be a little dirty. But will you humble yourself and stoop down and show gentle loving care to your brother or sister in Christ. Paul says that when we do that, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Well, we could say this, all of Jesus' teachings summarize in his command to love God more than anyone or anything else and in turn to love one another as we would love ourselves. It's a call to gently restore and a call to lovingly bear one another's burdens. I want you to notice something he says right in between those two things. He kind of pauses for a minute and he gives a warning. Notice what he says right at the end of verse 1. He says, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. You know what humility will also do? As I see a brother or sister who has maybe fallen into sin, or a brother or sister who is burdened with something in their life, humility will remind me that that could be me. And probably sometime in the past it has been me. And probably sometime in the future it will be me. And so I need to be careful. I need to be careful as I'm helping my brother or sister in Christ that I don't give the enemy a foothold and that I myself fall into sin with that person. It's kind of like the lifeguard who goes out to save someone who's drowning, but in the process, the one who is drowning drowns the one who's trying to rescue we got to be careful because we ourselves can fall into temptation. And so as we help one another, we need to make sure that we don't fall as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says this, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So when we walk by the Spirit, we will help protect our brothers and sisters' relationship with God by gently restoring them when they sin and lovingly bearing their burdens so they don't become discouraged in their walk with God. 
Truth number four, walking by the Spirit protects my relationship with God by calling me to examine my own life. Walking by the Spirit, it protects my relationship with God by calling me to examine my own life. One, you may think, I thought we were talking about one another, and this kind of seems all about me. Well, as we are in the body of Christ, one of the best things that we can do to help our brothers and sisters in Christ is to make sure that we ourselves are keeping in step with the Spirit. It's going to be hard to pick up a brother or sister who's fallen if we ourselves aren't keeping in step with the Spirit, if we ourselves are laying on the floor as well. And so one of the ways we care for one another in the gospel community of the body of Christ is by constantly examining our own lives, making sure that we're living in a way that brings God honor and glory, making sure we're living in a way that is keeping in step with the Spirit of God. Verse 3 reveals the way that we must view ourselves in order to be obedient to the command to test ourselves. Notice what he says in verse 3, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself kind of similar to verse 26 in chapter 5. It's a call to not think too highly of ourselves. Paul is, telling the Gala- is not telling the Galatians that they're worthless. He's not saying, oh, you're just a bunch of worthless people. You're nothing. That's not what he's saying. He's not demeaning the image of God in them. It's a reminder that apart from Christ, we are spiritually nothing. Jesus himself said that. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So this is a call to remember our dependence upon God's grace. A call to remember our dependence upon His Spirit in us. The first step in living a lifestyle of Spirit-led self-examination is realizing that we are in desperate need of God every day in our lives. We don't want to deceive ourselves into thinking that we can do it all on our own that we don't need divine intervention, that we are something apart from Jesus, when really, apart from Jesus, you and I are nothing. But the command then comes in verse 4. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. We are to test or examine our own work. This word test is the word that's used of of the uh, refining process of gold, to look in in gold and see if there are any impurities there. Whenever you test something, you compare it to the standard to see how it measures up. The temptation, though, for us as Christians is to use someone else's spiritual walk as the standard by which we examine our own spiritual walk. And what Paul has already talked about is a great opportunity for the devil to tempt us to do just that. He's just talked about us being willing to stoop down and help up a brother or sister who has fallen into sin. But you know what the temptation is when I do that? To look down on that person instead of stooping down to that person. The temptation is to go, but I don't do that kind of thing. Paul says, test yourself. Examine yourself. The standard is not this other person's walk with the Lord. The standard, as we have already said, is Jesus Christ. And so I'm to constantly be comparing myself with Jesus. Christian, you are to be constantly comparing yourself with Jesus. Now, that's a humbling endeavor right there. 
Because when we do that, we find that we all fall far short of the glory of God. And we need God's Spirit leading us. It's not a solo dance. We need to, Him leading us. We need to be keeping in step with Him. We don't want to be like the Pharisee who saw the tax collector in the temple and said, God, thank you that I'm not like that man. Pharisee needed to do was some serious self-examination of his own heart. And that's what Paul is calling us to do here in this passage. In verse 5, then, we have the, we have the attitude in verse 3, the command in verse 4, attitude of humility, command in verse 4 to test our own work, but then a motivation in verse 5. For each will have to bear his own load. Now, at first, that might seem to contradict what Paul just said in verse 2. What did he say in verse 2? Well, share your load with other people. Bear one another's burdens. And now here he's saying, for each will have to bear his own load. But Paul's talking about a different kind of load here. And he's talking about this in the future tense. Presently, we are to be bearing one another's loads. But there is a day in the future where we will stand before God. And God will hold us individually responsible for our own actions. And in that day, I won't be able to look at my brother and sister in Christ and say, hey, can you help me out? It'll just be me and God standing there. And in that day, I'll have to bear my own load. Now, thankfully, because of the grace of God, God will look at me and see Jesus in me. Otherwise, I would be doomed forever. But God will test our works as believers and reward us or not reward us accordingly. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10 through 15, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. He's talking about our lives as Christians, how we live our lives. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day. He's talking about that judgment day. We'll disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. Not talking about the fires of hell. He's talking about that purification fire where we realize and God exposes whether or not we've lived our Christian life in a way that's brought him glory and honor. If the work that anyone had in the fire, excuse me, in the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has done, uh, has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So walking by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit will help us to humbly examine our own lives. Christian, sometimes we get busy. Sometimes we get busy even with church stuff. And we just, we even come into a worship service like this. And we can sing songs and we can pray and we can, we can read the Bible and we can, we can pay attention to the sermon and, and, and all these things. And we can leave and have never stopped and examined our own lives through the lens of Scripture. When was the last time you just were quiet before the Lord and said, God, Expose any wrongdoing in me. Expose any way in my heart that's not in keeping with your Holy Spirit. 
when we walk by the Spirit, we'll be led to humbly examine our own lives, which then puts us in a better position to care for one another in the body of Christ. If you're not paying attention to whether or not you're keeping in step with the Spirit, it's going to be hard for you to help other people keep in step with the Spirit. In fact, you'll end up being a hindrance rather than a help. You'll end up causing hurt instead of protecting relationships in the body of Christ, in the gospel community. Let me quickly give you uh, the fifth truth here. It's verse number six. Verse number six. Walking by the Spirit protects the members' relationship with their teachers by calling them to share. Walking by the Spirit protects the members' relationship with their teachers by calling them to share. This last command is a pretty simple command. It says, one who has taught the Word must share all good things with the one who teaches. In other words, it's a call for members in the church to provide to, for those who labor in teaching them God's Word. Those who are taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Notice two things. One, it's implied in this passage that the teachers in the church are teaching the word. Church isn't called to provide support for someone who's teaching but is not teaching the word. The word being the word of God. So it's implied that the teachers in the church teach the word. But then the command is that members must share all good things with the one who teaches. And this is basically a call for the church to provide financial support to those who have been set apart for the role of shepherding the church through the teaching of God's Word. So how do you know that's what he means? Well, we do a little Bible study on this word share. We find that Paul uses this word share in another letter in a similar context. In the book of Philippians, in his letter to the Philippians, there Paul uses this word share, and it's very clear that he's talking about financial support. He says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 14 through 16, Yet it was kind of you to share, there's that word, share my troubles. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, that's talking about his beginning of his gospel ministry, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And Jesus said during his earthly ministry that the laborer deserves his wages. And Paul picked up on that phrase in his first letter to Timothy when he was talking about how the church should uh, care for the elders or overseers in their midst. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 through 18, Paul writes, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And, he quotes Jesus here, the laborer deserves his wages. Why would Paul give this statement right here? It, sometimes, it almost seems like he kind of throws it in. And it's not really connected with anything else. I don't know if you noticed that when you, or thought that when you read verse 6. I've thought that before. Why would he give it? Well, we don't know for sure. But it could be that he didn't want the Galatians to take the previous command that each will have to, or, or a statement that each will have to bear his own load and use that as an excuse to not provide for the teachers in their midst. Oh, well, we're not going to provide for our teachers because Paul said each has to bear his own load. Well, that's not what Paul was talking about back in verse 5. He was talking about our lives before God. And one day when we stand before him, we'll have to bear our own load. He was not talking about in the context of our day-to-day lives as the church. So he didn't want them to use verse 5 as an excuse to not provide financially for the teachers in their church. 
Let me give one other possibility. It could be that the congregation had withdrawn support from their teachers because of the false teachers that came in. Remember the false teachers invaded these churches? It could be that they started following these false teachers and withdrew support from those who were faithfully preaching and teaching God's word to them. (laughs) And if anybody needed the clear, right, accurate teaching of God's word at a certain time, it was the Galatians. Remember, they're being led astray into false doctrine. And so they need teachers who will faithfully teach them the word. And so Paul says, listen, Galatians, you need some men who will proclaim God's word rightfully to you. And when they do, make sure you take care of them. Payment would not only provide the teachers with the means to study and teach, but it would also convey appreciation for their work and the motivation that comes when a teacher knows that his listeners are placing a high value on the word that he is teaching to them. Whatever the exact reason Paul gave this command for, it's definitely a way for genuine love, care to be displayed in the community of believers called the church. Can I just pause for a minute and say that as your pastor? I'm very thankful that this church lives in obedience to verse number 6. I'm appreciative of that, and I'm thankful for that. When we're keeping a step with the Spirit, we show appreciation to those who are teaching us how to follow the Spirit's lead and to dance as a Christian life. Paul's given a ton of commands here. Right? He says, keep in step with the Spirit. He said, don't become conceited. He said, uh, uh, restore one another gently. Bear one another's burdens. Test yourself. Share with those who teach you. If you live by the Spirit, then you should be submitting your every thought, word, and action to His leadership. And when you do, you'll be be able to obey these commands. Now, as we close, I want you to step back for just a minute. We've been right in the middle of this dance this morning, looking at what's going on as we keep in step with the Spirit, as we help those beside us who are trying to keep in step with the Spirit. But let's step back for just a second and look at this whole ballroom. Look at what gospel community should look like Look at what it should look like when we are all keeping in step with the Spirit. We are protecting our relationships with one another. We're helping others protect their relationships with God. We're making sure and protecting our relationship with God. And we're protecting our relationships with our teachers. This scene is beautiful. Many dancers all keeping in step with their lead partner, the Spirit all using their own gifts, all working for the Lord and serving the Lord as He's called them to, but all doing that together, working together, not trampling over one another. When we live out the corporate care that God has called us to in the gospel community of the church, we display the beautiful grace and mighty power of God both to one another and to the watching world around. Heavenly Father, we love you. Would you help us keep in step with your spirit? Father, if there's someone here today who is not living by your spirit, doesn't have life because your spirit has never filled them, Father, today I pray that they would trust in Jesus as their Savior. Father, believe in what he did on the cross to rescue them. And that they would be filled with your spirit, have life by your spirit. Father, for those of us who do have life by your spirit, by your grace, Lord, through our faith in Jesus, Father, help us. Help us keep in step with the Spirit. Help us to display your love 
and our genuine care for one another in the body of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray.